Hello, everybody. This is Mitch Connolly here to tell you about the actual play podcast, The GM Showcase. Each game of The GM Showcase features a talented GM as well as talented players exploring a number of systems and settings. Check out the game The Rat's Den, a D&D 5e adventure featuring James Intricasso of the Don't Split the Pod Network as the Game Master. This game features the players Morgan Jenkins of the podcast Going in Blind, Matt Parody of the RPG Academy Network, Neil Powell of the Dungeon Master's Block, and yours truly. Find the GM Showcase by searching Block Party Podcast Network on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and now, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. I'm Dungeon Master Ian. I'm Dungeon Master Neil, a.k.a. Joke Maniac. And I'm Dungeon Master Andrew. Whoa, four hosts on a special three-part episode. This has never in the history of the Dungeon Master's Block happened before. It's a fourfer, yeah. It's a fourfer, uh, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> anyway. It's a four-bagger. That's what happens when you get four strikes in bowling. I don't know what that means. That's why we're podcasting, because uh, we would normally wear bags over our heads. Go on. <laughs> so if bowling were related to podcasting, anyway, we have one of your, you the listeners, favorite types of episodes coming up. We have the creation and inspiration split up into three parts. And I do have something I think you guys may be excited for. These next two episodes are simply top tens, but... We have four people, so that means you are now going to get 40 ideas for you to use as inspiration, information dump completely on all of you guys burying you in information. So we hope that you're excited for that. Yeah, not to mention two new minds to torture your players with, because I don't think Andrew has ever been on, and I've never done one, so yeah. This is Ian and Andrew's first time doing a top 10 so we'll we'll be excited to hear all of them and i'll be i'm kind of interested to see if with four people who have none of us know each other's top 10s i wonder if we'll have any ideas that are just like oh i wrote that same exact idea down pretty much we'll find out i guess when we start reading our ideas i would feel very disturbed if that were the case all of our ideas are the same. Every single one. <laughs> no way. That would be way too weird and way too creepy. Anyway, Neil, we have a five-star review before we jump into the meat, which is top tens. So the five-star review is from Champswell24, and it is entitled Great Listen, Five Stars. Started DMing about three months ago thanks to listening to some other podcast, but this one made DMing a much more creative process. I like that the other podcast is not mentioned going on. (laughs) I don't have a lot of time to prepare being in grad school, so I use written adventures, but with the help from the guys on the block, I put a flair on all of it that my players love. My players may or may not meet a hashtag food mage in Blingdenstone next session. I'll keep on dungeon mastering can't wait to re-listen to all of the episodes 
Awesome. Thank you, Champswell24. Yeah, thanks. That is quite a task to re-listen to all like hundred some odd episodes. I mean, that's that's some dedication right there. And I'm excited to hear about the famous Blingdenstone food mage and all of the spaghetti golems he creates. Well, with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. All right. For the meat today, we are definitely going quantity and hopefully tons of quality with a metric ton of ideas for you. And hopefully we'll inspire some of your games and get to hear about it because i think one of the things for us is that we don't get to use these so hopefully we will hear about you using them and we've ordered them in what we personally feel is the 10 to 1 order but what i like about that is that that's often not the case <laughs> i feel bad because then i'm just like here's my eight and then you know three other people are gonna be like that should have been your one my first last number 10 was the food mage and that's the one that keeps yeah. on coming back <laughs> i exactly. was like this idea so, is ridiculous it, it ain't going nowhere Hashtag food mage was born, yes. Top tens. So we will kick it off with someone who has not yet shared an idea. Andrew, what is your first Number 10. All right. Coming in at number 10 is a hilarious, hilarious little, it can be a little sub-adventure or just something you can spring on the players. I call it Snakes on an Airship. Um, <laughs> basically, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. That's, uh, not a that's a, not a 10. That's a number one. <laughs> Keep it See? coming. So Snakes on an Airship is what you do is you get the players on an airship and they meet an elf by the name of Samuel. That is and brilliant. over time, that is they learn his full name is Samuel Elf Jackson, and Snake. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> an evil summoner begins summoning snakes, and the players are tasked with defeating the snakes on an airship. And the final climax is when they have to defeat the mother snake. <laughs> That's so good. Well, that yeah. Well, that was our episode. <laughs> I didn't know you could win we these hope things. You enjoyed. I want to do that. That's that's like the number one one shot in my mind now to do. <laughs> oh man, that sounds so much fun. So yeah, so much good stuff with that, especially because you're stuck in the air. Like the bottle episodes are or bottle adventures are a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, it works best I think when they're in transit too. So it's like they don't realize this is gonna be the quest until it ha starts happening. I think since we have four of our current hosts here, I will just give the shout out to our past host of DM Chris and just say that would be a nightmare lived out for him to play that game because he is deathly afraid of snakes. So Ian, one of us is going to have to run a game for <laughs> for Chris and not tell him that it's going to be snakes on an airship. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he'd get up and walk away from the table at that point. I think he's more of a trooper than that, but he would definitely be squirming in the chair the whole night. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next in the initiative, Ian, you're up, and we get to hear your first number 10. So my number 10, I, I love video games. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am a huge video game guy. But there are some video games that just aren't as satisfying as they could be because either they weren't written well or they didn't go like they were supposed to. And so my idea for a story hook is not as good as uh, Snakes on an Airship. 
but it's a favorite video game reimagined, written correctly, with, of course, a few changes along the way because of the plot corruptors that we love called player characters. Uh, but, you know, taking taking your favorite video game or a video game that, that should have been one of your favorites but wasn't because of just how bad it turned out and, and basing a campaign off of that, hopefully your players aren't wise to that. But, you know, reskin it, retool it, all that kind of stuff. But use the same sorts of things and, and write it the way that you think it should have been written in the first place. Go find a copy of E.T. from the uh, dig site and then, uh, <laughs> rework that for your plan. <laughs> Just replace E.T. with a Mind Flayer. <laughs> oh, that would be And instead awful. of Reese's, he wants brains. <laughs> I really like that idea because you can make, you can really flesh out what didn't happen. And so, you know, because especially with like the older games, like Ocarina of Time, as awesome as it was, you know, there are pieces that maybe you wanted to explore and now you could because you don't have those silly rules like graphics. Yeah, I've always wanted to run a campaign in, like, the Dragon Age setting because I feel like they have all this, like, latent history that's just sort of laying there that they haven't done anything with. And you could totally base a game in the Dragon Age world and play a a story or something like that the way it should have gone. Perfect. Next up in the order, Mitch, can we get your seventh number 10? Is it really? Oh, my goodness. That's why they're so hard well, to yeah, come up with these them all, days. Right? <laughs> all right. My number 10 this time is called Unite the Kingdoms. And this is an idea I have for basically an entire campaign. A new king has taken the throne. He is a good king, sometimes unreasonably so. He wants to end war completely. To do so, he makes the PCs into knights as well as his ambassadors, and he tasks them with going to enemy kingdoms to seek out making peace treaties with all of them. So I just imagine this campaign being centered around a lot of diplomacy, but I mean, you can have, especially if you're going to like enemy kingdoms, you can throw in plenty of combat into that. But I think that would be really interesting, being ambassadors for a king who wants to end all wars and having to go to the nation of trolls and figure out how do we make a peace treaty with the trolls? How do we make a peace treaty with the orcs that just want to lob off our heads? You can, uh, you can also do a lot with customs in this, in this game where like you have the players have to learn how to communicate to each nation on their level as like, like a sub thing. So if they're really into role playing, you can kind of say like, all right, you guys have to learn how they, how they act, how they dress, how they speak in order to be able to negotiate properly. That's very Star Trek-ish of you, Mitch. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. I I like that uh, culture idea. And to me, you bringing that up would like, as a DM makes me think, oh yeah, what weird cultures can I, throw into the game for the orcs, the trolls, whatever it is that the players would then have to roll with to make peace with these people. Or, and that also brings in some interesting themes. Maybe they do something that's so offensive in a certain culture that it sparks off a a mini war or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, there, there is no repairing that relationship because we all know that things go bad in, D&D all the time because dice and uh, you know that that's sort of fun to to roll with and see how that would work. Sorry, you say you say it like the players aren't immediately gonna offend everyone in that kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, depending on who the players are, right? <laughs> I would also make the players eat super weird stuff from around our world, saying that they have yes. to because they're in a different country in your D&D world. That's a good idea for snack time. So, with that, I will do my second number 10, and it is called Quarantined. Essentially, there's some terrible illness in your world, but it is also known. Like it is a known entity that exists in your world. So your players go to some small town, they wake up, they see that someone has fallen ill with it, and they know what's next. And essentially, by either magical or physical means, the entire town is covered. My immediate thought was the Simpsons movie, and then they just put that big glass dome over the top of it. Colonel Embassy Suites. And just that your players are stuck in there. And But the interesting thing with that is that your size you're in the scale of that is totally up to you because it could be the tiniest of hamlets it could be the biggest town in your world but they're stuck there and they have to figure out both the quarantine and how to get out because the people won't trust that it's been dealt with well then that's that reminds me a lot of a video game called the division which had very much that quarantine sense there was a disease that that killed everybody but there were ways to stay safe within the quarantine zones and then venturing outside the quarantine zones within whatever city, because I'm sure they would set up quarantine zones within the city to prevent the, the illness from, from spreading. But going out, not only did you get the best loot, but you also had the potential of, of getting very, very sick. I like it. All right, we're back around. Number nine, Andrew. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of illnesses, number nine I call the cure. It's a very simple idea is that there's some sort of powerful figure. He might be a villain, he might be an elderly wizard, whatever, who contracts the players to find a cure for his disease. And it's like some sort of root or plant or some sort of magical item. The only problem is that the cure is located in this society that worships the disease, the, the cure as a holy relic. So in order for the players to fulfill their mission, they basically have to steal this steal this relic from this large society that like holds it up as something very important to them. No problems there. Just just swoop in, take it, and move on. I'm just imagining all the ways that that could go wrong. Oh, it will go wrong horribly. <laughs> 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 all right. Number nine, Ian. So one of my favorite animes, and I, I, there are a few that I really like, um, it's called Sword Art Online, and I think I've talked to Mitch uh, about this before. I want to run a campaign that's sort of loosely based on Sword Art Online, which, in essence, this megalomaniac has trapped people within a video game that is virtual reality. It, you know, it links into their neural network and pathways, and if you die in the game, you die in real life. But you have to like fight your way to the very top of this tower. It's like a mega dungeon, and things just get harder and harder and harder, and the only way you can get to the top or beat it is to get to the 100th floor and defeat the final boss there. And so I would love to do a campaign like that where the players just sort of wake up in this town. They have no idea what's going on. And a wizard has sort of like put them all there. And they, the only way out, the only way to get to freedom, essentially, is to fight their way to the top of this tower. And that's the whole campaign is trying to get out. A big dungeon crawl that goes up. <laughs> yep. A tower crawl. A tower climb. There you go. Tower climb. Tower climb. Why wouldn't you just climb it from the outside, though? Because it's sheer. Ah. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> the mage <laughs> did it. 
No, and I mean, using Sword Art Online as a basis is a really cool idea because certain levels in that game aren't dungeons. Yeah, yeah, they're towns. Like essentially, yeah. you you unlock yeah you unlock a better town, you unlock a nice area, things like that. But of course, there are also a lot of dungeons and a lot of bosses that could insta kill you. Yeah. All right, number nine, Mitch. And number nine is entitled Sword of Slaying. And this one, I wrote down that the PCs, they find a legendary sword. Uh, so that's something you want to drop into your campaign sometime. This legendary sword is capable of slaying even the most deadly foes. I did not write down stats because that's not what we're about here at the Dungeon Masters block. You come up with the stats, but it's a great legendary sword. However... This sword is cursed and whoever or whatever is around the person or the group who found this sword, they start to grow sick and die. Hence the name Sword of Slaying. Uh, and so the PCs will only realize this once they are confronted by a group, whether it's like knights or wizards of the realm that come and appear to the these PCs who are trying to figure out, is there a plague in the land? What's going on? And these knights or wizards, they try to fight them and are telling them that they are the cause of the death. Wherever they go, animals, plants, people are dying because of this curse. And so now they must break the curse of the Sword of Slaying. It sounds solid, and you can even throw in there that maybe the players are, for some reason, searching for the cause of this pestilence without realizing that it's the actual sword itself. That's kind of what I thought. Like, I thought like it would be cool if the PCs are just thinking, like, what is this plague that's hit the land? And they're not going to understand that it's them because it's just they're going around and being like, man, it's everywhere. But it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just centered around them. Yeah, I, well, I love that they carry around the thing that essentially is like that self-fulfilling prophecy like we're good well maybe the problem is over here well the problem will be over there because <laughs> you went over yeah. there and took the problem with you now it'd be, it would also be terrifying if this thing you know raised armies of undead i was thinking like there there's some sort of consequence also I mean, it, you know it, it kills people but they're also now you're creating this huge undead plague I mean, undead always always play well, so. And maybe you can't control the undead, but maybe the undead also do not attack the group who has the sword. So you're trying to figure out, wait, it's killing people? Like, there's this play going around? Why are, are we, like, being unnoticed by these zombies now, these skeletons, whatever it is? Because you don't want to kill the people who have the sword of slaying. You want them to keep going around. I don't know, then. You almost want them to level up, so maybe you will have the undead attack. <laughs> and then the sword ends up being like a lich's phylactery or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that'd be cool. That'd be real good. It's interesting because my number nine plays into it, or Ooh. at least I'm going to make it play into it. Add on to that campaign story. Yep. So my number nine is called Shattered. To kind of play out that idea, if we use the sword of slaying as like the basis of it, either that group or your group figures out that we need to destroy this magic item, but it doesn't go right. And so for whatever reason, a legendary magic item is destroyed, but it shatters and like all the pieces fly away at like this unimaginable speed. And then they, those shards of the magic item actually embed themselves into other things and then bestow power onto those things. And then your players are going to have to go and find those things and bring all the shards back together. It's Inuasha. I did not realize that that's what this is until I right now. Totally what it is. Cool. I didn't come up with an original idea. <laughs> Going on. It's still a cool, like, MacGuffin sort of story. Yeah, I'd still play that. My favorite thing would be picking, like, anything to qualify. Like, an animate object is either now a magic item or an animated item. 
fauna, flora, people, anything counts. And then that way you could have just a super varied reason and responses to that magic that your players have to go deal with. Yeah, like you could have uh, players come across a village where like there's this this old man who's got some kind of item that's made him kind of like the boss of the town now. And so like and then they find out, oh wait a second, this is that artifact that's given him this power. Back to number eight. Andrew. Alright, so uh this one's this one's a twist on the old system of you know how you have a monster guarding an area and in order to get into the area you have to answer the monster's riddle. Well this one is where you have the monster is out of riddles and so he looks for players the players to come up with a few new ones for him. Oh. And he wants totally original ones. So you as the GM have to have some strong Google foo to make sure your players create an original riddle in order to, to gain access to his treasure or whatever. That's great. And you know what? If you, you're sitting there trying to find it on Google, and you know what? If they can trick you as the DM into thinking <laughs> it's original and you can't find it, like maybe this monster just has not, never heard of that riddle before. So well done. You tricked the DM. Exactly. <laughs> would you have to? Would the monster have to be stumped by the riddle, or just a really good riddle needs to be given so that it could use it? I later? think. I think uh, bonus points if you stump it. Like you know. If, mm, yeah, because nice. I mean, the DM always is trying to stump the, the player. We're a DM, are always trying to stump the players, right? So it's only fair if now you give them the opportunity to stump you as the beast. Yeah, you're flipping the tables for them, <laughs> which I think would give many, many players a a shot of glee. Knowing that they could potentially like ruin your night, <laughs> or they'd totally freak out. Yeah, <laughs> lock up. I can't come up with something that original. It's still yeah. not as frustrating though, because as the DM, you just go, hmm, "I can't figure it out." Well done. As a player, you go, hmm, <laughs> yeah, "I can't yeah. figure it out. I cannot proceed." <laughs> yeah, the adventure, the adventure is over until you can figure it out. <laughs> I like that a lot, Ian. Number eight. All right, so my number eight, I have titled Everything and the Kitchen Sink. My idea with this, and, and I've, I've done this with, with one group, and it worked out phenomenally well. I was out of ideas as a DM. I'd been DMing for a number of years, and I was just straight up out of ideas. And so I turned to all my players and said, what, what sort of story would you really like? Give me three plot points, each of you. You know, email them to me throughout the week. And uh, I will use that to create a story. I had them email me every sing after every single session. And I used those to craft a story that they wanted to play through using their own ideas. They didn't know which ideas I would pick when or anything like that. But they threw at me everything in the kitchen sink. And so that's why I have called it that. See, I would put my, my preferred idea of like the players immediately get a million gold pieces. <laughs> You're that player. <laughs> yeah, obviously you, you get through some of those, but you have to trust your players enough to, to know not to do that. It was more like, you know, craft a story hook, you know, or a monster you'd like to fight or something you'd like for your character to do. You get way more engagement from that because then it's like, oh man, this is what I wanted to end in the game now. So I'm going to be really participatory. Yeah, it gives them a lot of ownership in the story, a lot of agency, and if you've done well and your players do their jobs well in that regard, it can it can craft a really fun campaign. I would totally give the players a million gold because you just said you didn't say when you're going to use it. <laughs> They're just in the middle of the forest now. They got to protect a mound of a million gold, and who knows who's going to come try and take that bad boy? There's your million gold. It's just under those five dragons over there. Go and take it, <laughs> Mitch. Number eight. My number eight is 
entitled Returning to the Source. And so this is another campaign idea. So you have four powerful sorcerers who are draining the material plane of the four elements, earth, air, water, and fire, and returning them to their plane of origin. These four mages must be stopped or nothing will remain of the material plane. And I like to imagine that they start at the four, if you will, corners of the world and start to just like eat away at it. And it's just the world is being taken away. If they're not stopped by a year or whatever it is by the PCs, the world will be gone. You're going to have so much fun with that, like causing the ocean to just kind of vanish under the players when they're on like a sea travel. Yes. Be like, oh, what just happened? Yes. <laughs> well, now they've got something like the Laurentian Abyss right in front of them. I mean, how do you navigate that? And even with water, it's like water starts disappearing. Like people need water to live. Like if water is taken away or with the earth mage, like farmland being just ripped up from underneath them. You know, you can have a lot of fun with that by just making it making it one huge mystery. Like just stuff starts vanishing yeah. on the players and they're just like, what is going on? And then they finally figure it out when they finally catch one of the sorcerers doing it. I think that would be a lot of fun to slowly reveal what's happening. I think that's even better than to start it off and have like a night run up to the player group at the first night of gameplay and be like, there are four wizards stealing the elements. Like, I think it's better for them to be the ones to figure it out and then go after it. I don't know. I, I like that other option too. Like, hey guys, <laughs> wizards are stealing earth and water and fire. This out to you. <laughs> My name is Sir Exposition. <laughs> I like the idea, and I, I forget if you had mentioned this, Mitch, but the idea that came into my head was that the wizards are actually competing to gain this mm. power. And it's actually stealing stealing an idea from Friar Took in a game that he had talked about. So you could have all four elements disappearing at this slower rate. And then let's say you go stop the person stealing the water. Then the other three elements start disappearing at a faster rate. So you almost have to make that decision of which element are you going to leave for Ooh. last. Oh, Ooh, man, that's, Neil, that's, that that is tough. <laughs> yeah, Neil, that even makes me wonder, like, if you take it a, if a level up and you say this is not wizards doing it, but this is the gods, uh, the god of earth, fire, air, water, and they're taking this in from the material plane because whatever's on the more power they have on their plane the stronger they are. And so you're not just fighting wizards. You're trying to stop gods. Epic level campaign. All right. That means it's me. Number eight. And I entitled it de-evolution revolution. So essentially an entire race is reverting to like an earlier state of existence. And they're fundamentally changing the world around them due to this change in both their tactics, their mentality, everything like that. One could be, the orcs in your world are becoming much more feral and barbaric. And now they're just pillaging every countryside because they're just at war and they're feral and they're trying to take over more land. Another could be dragons into dinosaurs. I don't know. Uh, just anything because essentially it fundamentally changes it based on what they're attacking, what they're eating. So the whole world can change from the simple like de-evolution of a race. I like that because uh, when I think of like the orcs going feral, I imagine them losing, like whether it's a slower process or whether it's pretty quick, they're losing the power of language, which is making them even more difficult to reason with than the regular orc that's difficult to reason with. But even with that, like you might be able to go, well, I might not be able to reason with an orc, but since it can talk to me, I can maybe even trick it. 
but not so with an orc that's just foaming at the mouth and ready to rip your head off. I tried talking. It didn't work. Yeah, and then you have like the the cause. What what's causing the de-evolution? Is it biological? Is it magical? Is it some sort of ethereal being? I mean, yeah, you can go into a lot of different paths with that because of the fact that you don't have a clear divine source with that idea, which I really like. I like that it's sort of a mystery. You don't know whether it's a biological agent. And if it is a biological agent or if it is a magical agent, who can it attack? Is it specifically designed to attack that species? Or is it something that can hop from from species to species? Or maybe you could just uh, treat it as if this is kind of just the background to your to your world and that this thing has happened and all of the politics of these nations are changing because suddenly there is this very civilized nation that once exists and now it's just completely all out war. And so it's like, there's no reversing it. There's no switching it back. It's just kind of like, how do we exist in this world now? I just like what you said in general, getting something that is a plot point that isn't fixed, but dealt with. Because I think that's a go-to mentality with a lot of players is we need to put back a wrong into right. But this is like, there's no way to do it. You've got to figure out a new way to exist in this world. All right. Now we're on to number seven. Andrew. All right. This is my first actually serious campaign idea. I'm a little bit sad. I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like that. Move on to number six. No, No, so uh, number seven, I did call basically the hunger. It's an undead campaign. Where the players start out trying to stop the big bad, but they're all killed. And this dark energy in that area reanimates them as whites or whatnot, and they retain their own sentience. And in order to gain rest and to kind of progress into the afterlife, they've got to go after the big bad. And the, the thing is, is that you can make them all sorts of different undead, however you choose. You know, you're a mummy, you're a white, you're a... Not a leech, but, you know, vampire or something. And they all have an attribute called the hunger, which is something that if they indulge in their, like, undead desires, it gets stronger and it can control them more throughout the campaign. And so then they have their humanity that they're trying to retain. And so it's like this back and forth between the two. I like it. Especially because you get, I mean, and you mentioned it, but giving varied options of what they turn into, like, I'm a ghost or you know, vampire mummy and all that stuff. Well, you probably that as a DM, I would want a homebrew or at least find some sort of racial stats that make it a good player character. You know, um, actually I came up with this cause, uh, for 3.5, uh, world uh, wizards of the coast, they had, uh, an undead handbook, like an actual, like legit yeah, handbook. Did. It was yep. really good. They also had, they had ghost walk, which I actually peppered into one of my games where essentially you could take levels of ghost but if you took too many and it overtook your normal levels, you just disappeared into a ghost. So you'd have to switch back and forth between undead and alive and make sure that that balance was maintained. But I really like the idea of the hunger of like, well, you got to figure this out or you're just going to be this terrible creature forever. Yeah, and I would, I would also include some sort of will save or something like that. And not will save. I mean, that's 3.5 language, but like a wisdom save or, or something along those lines, you know, every day to sort of resist and it would get harder. I'd make the DC harder every day. What I would suggest instead Uh, is to treat the hunger kind of like a dark side point where the players themselves can actually call on the hunger to gain an advantage in the immediate. 
but it, as that progresses, they lose agency. That's so that, like, you know, if a player has like five hunger points, at some point the GM can just force the player to do something that would be within that range of it. And so kind of like make it a trade-off instead of, cause if it's based on the campaign, you don't want players to arbitrarily lose just cause the dice sucked that morning. I do like the idea of rolling from the star Wars force and destiny, rolling dark side, light side, and then having that mechanic in the game. Cause then it's a give and take back and forth with you, the, the DM and the players. Awesome. Ian number seven. My number seven comes from a movie I watched, and if you have not watched it, you need to, called The Last Night on Netflix. Clive Owen and Morgan Freeman. It was high fantasy with no magic. So this idea is absolutely no magic. I I like that idea in terms of, you know, you're all mundane. It is sort of a, a higher fantasy setting. There are knights and kings and you know, plots and other races and things of that nature, but there's no magic. So it's all martial stuff. And the way that this movie was written, the way that it was played, the way that the campaign went, I mean, you had knights, you had rogues, you had rangers, you had all like the physical classes. You even had a priest who, you know, traveled around and he was more of like the, the combat medic, but it's all mundane. And you can do some interesting things with that. Like somebody gets really hurt, they don't heal overnight. They don't, you know, there's no cleric, there's no nothing. They might be on bed rest for a couple of days to recover. They have to solve problems with non-magical means. Because I think, especially in, in high magic fantasy settings, we rely so much on magic to heal our ails and our aches, we take it for granted. And so I think doing a campaign where you have none of that to rely on but your wiles and your wits... I think would be a would be a great campaign uh, setting to put in one of these ideas that we're talking about. Yeah, I, th- I think there is a, a huge part of resource management that comes into play when you have limited recovery options, because suddenly your HP isn't just something that like, oh, I need to drink three potions now. It's more of like, wow, when I lose ten hit points, it'll be a week before I recover them. So I think that'll create a, a greater sense of like seriousness in which the players uh you know approach encounters because when you can recover easy a player's like oh you know i'll just go ahead and throw myself into this war no no issue well and i like that it totally changes the scale of your adventure because if you think a lot of the pre-written ones you're going to end up going from like level one to 20 in a span of like a couple weeks in most instances which is somewhat feels somewhat unrealistic obviously it's fun to do that but i think it'd be interesting to have it take weeks months maybe years to complete a campaign because that's the only way you're going to heal up but then you know you definitely would have to figure out things for your players to do um, in that downtime mitch number seven my number seven is called pod of skin changing Ooh, the pcs find what can only be described as the ruins of a strange looking vessel perhaps circular However, it is nowhere near a place of water. Inside, they find strange artifacts, including a chamber with a number of dials and switches. Uh, They cannot read the language written on the dials and switches, but if tampered with a PC inside, a PC will emerge from the chamber as a completely different race native to this world. That you can have a lot of fun with. I like aliens, guys. (laughs) 
<laughs> you could you could even do kind of a side thing where there's this this fella who found it and now he's charging people to use it. Ooh. And the players come across like this kind of like sideshow huckster fella, like step right up and change your race. He can't he can't be normal now. He's got to be some weird thing. He's got to be like a flump or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there needs to be a disclaimer because what I imagine is I imagine this chamber, this pod having like a a ton of dials on it. And like I said, you can't read the language because nobody knows this language. And I like the idea that, oh yeah, we can change your race, but we're not sure exactly how many times, if ever we would have to send you into this pod to change you back into whatever you are. So, or could <laughs> you even go back into whatever you are? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I like it being like, because they don't know how to read, it's just pretty much random. We hit these you buttons. Know. This plot well, hook is essentially all the fun of reincarnation without the pain of dying. That is exactly where <laughs> I got the idea. <laughs> the That crazy, ridiculous rolling for reincarnation. Yeah, the trick is you can only go in once. Ooh. And whatever you come out as, you're stuck as. Like, because it won't work again. Or maybe it you can, you can do it, like, as many times as you want, quote-unquote, but every time you go in... You also age or like it takes a little bit off of your life, like 10 years off of your life. So it's like there's a price to pay to completely rearranging your DNA. If you want to make this one a little creepier, you can have the players come across a town where this thing is like kind of like the major attraction. But it's not actually anything supernatural. It's actually doppelgangers murder the person who goes inside the (laughs) chamber, take on a new form and they're just stealing items from all these people who are traveling from all over the place. And so, like, there's this really kind of creepy pod person vibe to it. Let's just make the let's just make the chamber then the pod a mimic and say that it eats the people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and let's just call it a day. <laughs> mimic and doppelgangers working Perfect. together. That's not where this idea started off as, but that's where it's gonna end. By darn. <laughs> awesome. All right, number seven for me to close out, part one of creation and inspiration number seven is the writers of Rohirrim because I feel like this does not happen enough so I I'm feel gonna... some Tolkien coming on I feel like you've stolen this ah <laughs> uh, well it's funny because I was actually more of think more thinking um attack are you just gonna that. read us a chapter of the two towers right now that's what I was gonna say right perfect you know what I'm talking about but essentially and it doesn't have to be horses, but it, essentially a mount-based game because I feel like there's so much dungeon, there's so much confined spaces that even the players that choose to do this don't really get the benefits of it the way that they probably feel like they should. So just putting it out there that, okay, we're going to be on mounts, be they horses or whatever crazy thing you come up with, but that's a key component of this game. And possibly not even necessarily having your players build around that concept, but giving them kind of like, you're good at horses because everyone's good at horses. And then just having the scale be that much bigger and then riding around and tearing things up and the bond with the mount and everything. You know, there's this book uh, for 3.5, and I'm sure they'll do a conversion of it at some point because they're getting to all that stuff called Heroes of Battle that had a lot of those ideas in it. Mounted combat, big scale armies. Uh, especially if you're ramping up and they're part of a cavalry unit. I mean, how cool would that be? I would love to be part of a mounted cavalry unit. But, you know, you've got those ideas that you can incorporate in there, uh, coordinated tactics, all that kind of cool stuff that we like to do with the battle map. And 
and whatnot. I've really I want to. Can we can we do that campaign? Because I I want to be a writer. Riders of Shemesh, you missed that one, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. did. I did. That's all we have for you today here at the Dungeon Master's Block. But don't you worry, there is a ton more coming your way. Andrew, if people wanted to get a hold of us and tell us about their ideas, their top tens, where could they do that? You can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, and I'm sure you did, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it out loud on one of our episodes. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at DMsBlock. That's at DMs underscore block on Twitter. Or you can like our Facebook page. Both are good sources for all sorts of D&D goodness like memes and that kind of thing, as well as getting updates on when new episodes drop, who the guests are, and all that kind of good stuff. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Craig Van Wagoner. 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 Thank you so much, Craig Van Wagoner, for being a Patreon member for the block party. We appreciate that. Craig is a dreaded bronze dragon. So thank you for your support and enjoy those bonus episodes. Thank you so much. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can go check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. But with that, we're going to sign off and just want to thank you for coming to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> See it. <laughs> Keep, Keep on, on dungeon, dungeon mastering. mastering. <laughs> oh, you jerk. <laughs>
Goodbye.